We're here in community with two amazing doctors. They've been here before. I've been making jokes about prolapse vaginas and such. They're going to tell you how we fix that. Uh, we're going to have a conversation with them. They're back. The uro, uro gynecologist and pelvic reconstructive surgeon at P, uh, UPMC McGee Women's Hospital, the University of Pittsburgh. Let me welcome first Dr. Jocelyn J. Fitzgerald. Hello. Hey. And assistant professor, Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at the McGee Women's Research Institute and Foundation, the one and only Dr. Mary Ackenbaum. Hi, everybody. Thanks for hey. Thanks for coming back. So we were talking off mic about dress codes because y'all, y'all are casual today, which is nice, you know, because there's nothing wrong. And, yeah. and I was telling you about the conversation we were having before you got here. And both of you had some opinions. So I'm, I'm going to drag you into this. I apologize ahead of time. Dr. Mary, you were saying <laughs> that your, your mother and grandmother instilled in you how to dress to go to the doctor. Oh, absolutely. When you go to the doctor, you need to look your best. Even if you're feeling your worst, you need to project your best. So we went in very nice clothes. We bathed right before. So you can imagine having a fever. You're getting in the bath, it was ice cold, right? It's, it's awful. But the, the messaging was you look your best when you go to the doctor because you want them to take good care of you. Well, that is wrong in so many ways. You come and see me, you come as you are. I am here to take care of you. But so you, as, up, as a doctor, you know, you're not judging. Oh, not at all. I'm okay. glad you're here. I'm glad you've made it to see me. Okay. Dr. Jocelyn, you said you, you, um, you, you ran into this too, Dr. Jocelyn Fitzgerald. Yeah, I've run into this too. I was telling Dr. Eckenbaum, you know, especially older black women, you know, they will feel terrible, but they don't want to go to the doctor unless their hair is done and they're all dressed up because they assume that like probably white doctors won't take them seriously unless they, they really look put together, which is insane because when you're sick, you, the last thing you want is to like do your hair. Like you're sick. Um, and I've definitely had patients say they've like rescheduled surgery because, or not surgery, but appointments to talk about surgery because they didn't feel as though like they like were dressed up enough to come and like have rescheduled their appointments, which I think is obviously crazy, but I understand like why they would do that because wow. there are a lot of doctors with a ton of bias. And if you look, I don't know, there's, Man, there's you know, so I, as you're talking like we can't even have a conversation about decorum without entering racism or, or biases into, into the, we, we can't just have a talk about like, what do we expect of one another? Now going to the doctor, you're sick, show up, be sick. But this was a dentist, which I imagine, you know, if you coming for a teeth cleaning, clean everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I guess if you if you have a, like a bad toothache or some nerve damage or something, then you you need to come. You're not you're not going to be uh, considering, and a doctor should still take you. I think that that's proper. But if you're just going, you know, for a checkup, so let me ask you too, because you two deal in a, in a in the nether regions. Um, I wonder <laughs> about how because there have been times when you 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 have a doctor's appointment, your regular checkup, and then your period comes, and you like. I ain't trying to go to the doctors all bloody. So you reschedule. Do you care? Like what is, what's, what's the protocol? Um, Not whether you care, but like, what's the protocol? So you can see through all that blood, like talk to us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can come in, 
If you're bleeding, that's okay. I will say though, if you're going in for a pap smear specifically, then they may not be able to do the pap smear that day because they may not be able to get an adequate number of cells from the cervix when they put the yeah. little brush in the vagina. However, they can still do the pelvic exam. We just sweep that blood right out the way. Sweep, 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 sweep. No big deal. Oh, okay. Yeah. No problem. Doctor, I've doctor. also noticed a lot of patients think that a pelvic exam with a speculum and a pap smear are the same thing. Like they use the phrase pap smear to mm -hmm. mean pelvic exam. And that is not, they're not the same. So no. Okay. Uh, if you're so, having check for cervical cancer, you maybe shouldn't come on your period. Correct. Okay. For the guys out there who may not know what, what, walk us through what what the difference is and what you are actually doing when a woman shows up and do we have to get a pap smear every time we get our annual checkup with you Ooh, no. no oh you do not you do oh. not they yeah. changed those guidelines so if you've never had an abnormal pap smear you can space them out to every three to five years actually mm -hmm. good because mm -hmm. those are so uncomfortable thank yeah. you Yes, but a pelvic exam is still recommended. And so for a pelvic exam, that's where you're going to come in. You're going to see your doctor. They're going to ask you to shimmy down to the edge of the table. Often you'll have your feet in the stirrup. Sometimes they'll let you butterfly your legs. That's a little bit more comfortable. And then they're going to do two types of exams. One with a speculum. That speculum is either plastic or metal. They're going to place that in the vagina, open it up a little bit so that they can see all around. That's the part that people often think is the pap smear. The pap smear is actually when that speculum is in and then they will take instruments or like a little brush rather and just get some cells off the cervix. It's like a swab. It's a swab. Yeah. Yeah. But it's great. It's scratchy though. It's a scratchy it's a little, swab. Yeah. yeah. It's like a scratchy swab. You're right. It is. Okay. Uh, and then after that, they'll take the speculum out and then they'll usually do a bimanual exam. And that just means they'll place a finger or two in the vagina and then one on the belly in order to feel the organs in your pelvis. So your ovaries, your uterus, bowel, things like that. When, You're feeling fibroids and cysts. Okay. And you can, so there are people that are walking around with huge fibroids. And yes. then there's some that have little small ones, right? Um, yes. My doctor uses a sonogram, which I appreciate. Um, do you guys use a sonogram to look for fibroids or is all with the feel? Uh, if we need more, if we think there might be fibroids in there, we're getting an ultrasound or a sonogram. So that yeah. way we can get a better picture because the exam will just give us an idea of if things are enlarged or if they're irregular and not smooth. And then if that's the case, it'll, it'll say, oh, we need to get, we need to get a, a picture and then we'll get a sonogram. Last time you were here, we were talking about the reconstructive surgery that we never got to the reconstruction part because we got hemmed up the way we're getting hemmed up now, which I'm, I'm going to continue to hem you up because I apologize because you guys are just so, I mean, I wish you weren't in Pennsylvania, but you know, University of Pittsburgh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, for the, everyone in Pittsburgh, women, you are very blessed to have uh, this UPMC McGee uh, Women's Hospital there and these two doctors, Dr. Jocelyn Fitzgerald and Dr. Mary Ackenbaum. All right. So as you're, you're doing this, it, a lot of black women have fibroids. We've talked about this before. When you hit menopause, a lot of times those fibroids shrink on their own. Yes. Is this, is this true? True or false? True. Okay. True. Why does that happen? because you have less estrogen circulating in your body and those fibroids feed off of the estrogen. And so because there's less of it, they're going to, they're shrinking down. Yeah. Okay. Now 
Uh, so should you run towards menopause if you have fibroids? Like, <laughs> you should, should be looking forward to menopause. And what what are both of your um, opinion on whether people should take the the hormone treatment or not? Ooh. Oprah just had a very nice special on this. Oprah uh, did. What Oprah did, this? did about a month ago. Oprah had a How big special. <laughs> She brought on a woman named Sharon Malone, who is in DC. She's an amazing um, black menopause specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, I know her. She's very, very nice. Um, Also, she had on, I think um, Maria Shriver was on there. She had another menopause specialist, Heather Hirsch. And also, I think Drew Barrymore. (laughs) It was like all together. (laughs) Random. Um, It was all about hormones. And, um, you know, the parting line now really for hormones is that the pendulum sort of swung a little too extremely of saying no to them and that in the right patient, they are very safe and they will help you feel a lot better. And there's a lot of symptoms of menopause other than hot flashes Mm -hmm. that are really bothersome to people. I think Oprah said that she felt like she was just in this fog where she couldn't read the books that she loved and she didn't want to feel like she wanted to be active. And she just, when she started taking the hormone replacement, it was like, the blinds in the windows of her brain like rose and the sun came in. Um, so yeah, hormone therapy can be really a great thing for patients. And if you select them well and talk about the risks, which overall really are a lot lower than we thought, I think they're great. I agree. We should not be running towards menopause. I agree that when you're thinking about like, what about my fibroids? What are my options? There are, you know, there's lots of things you can consider in terms of managing the fibroids, depending on what your symptoms are. Um, But going or having less hormones may not be the answer. Okay. People who opt to not take any medicine. um, Are there risks to not taking any medicine? Um, and, and I, you know, and everybody's different, right? So some people are going through menopause or in menopause or, do you go out of menopause? Is it menopause just a particular period? And then you don't have a period anymore. And then, then you're right. out of menopause? No, I think you go in and you stay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so you just always, once you're in menopause, you're always in menopause. You're always in, in menopause. Okay. You make it. Yeah. The definition right. is that you've had no periods for 12 months and then okay. you're considered to be in menopause. Okay. So if you're 11 and a half, you didn't make it. You got to go another year. <laughs> another year. Okay. So a full year without a period is menopause. Yeah and no pads and no tampons. Now, once you're there and you feel fine, you're able to do all the things, then you don't need medicine. No, you're not hot flashing. Okay. So there's no risk to not taking medicine. Not at all. Okay. All right. Just that's all I want to know. All right. Now, you can, I I keep talking about prolapse vaginas because it makes me laugh, but I'm sure it's not funny for people who have them. So I apologize ahead of time for anybody that's walking around with a prolapse vagina. I'm sorry. Uh, but it just made me laugh because I just like to say it the, the way it sounds is just prolapse vagina. Just the thought of it sounds funny, but people who are experiencing it is not funny. We've had a few people call up, right? Yeah. And you, you guys talked about last time how you, you get the stuff back up, get the vagina back up when it falls out and then you lock it in place. Yes. Now, yes. Okay. How is that different? <laughs> Is that different from reconstructing? So there's a whole movement about vaginal rejuvenation um, from people being stretched out, I guess, uh, from having Nick Cannon's babies. So what, what do we do? What do we, so what's the process? What do you guys do? Walk us through it. 
patients come in and you, you share what your symptoms are, like what's bothersome to you. And I always ask, what is your goal? Like, what are we getting towards? Do we want you to not leak anymore? Do we want you to stop from sitting on the ball that is your vagina hanging out? Um, do you have low libido um, and you want to get your sex drive up? Whatever it is related to your pelvis, we are where you meet me and we're talking about what your symptoms are, what your goals are. And then, of course, we get into the nitty gritty of your history. So that way I can tailor make uh, a plan for you. And then we really I don't give a plan. I give options. My goal is to arm people with information. We talk about everything that we could potentially do and make a decision together about what's going to be best for that individual person. Hold up, Dr. Mary Ackenbaum. Um, you can restore people's libidos surgically. We do it all. Well, surgically, uh, okay. Well, uh, nah. uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Other things that can be done <laughs> that are not necessarily surgical, which is better. Who yeah. wants to, You don't have to have surgery to have a better libido, right? Well, sometimes people have little libido because they're they have prolapse, which makes them feel very unattractive. Yeah. And once the prolapse is fixed, they feel more confident, which raises their libido. All right. right. So, Doctor Jocelyn. Dr. Jocelyn J. Fitzgerald is here, uh, (laughs) as well as Dr. Mary Ackenbaum. And Dr. Mary can be followed at uh, Mary. She she isn't even doing her DR. Mary Acken, A-C-K-E-N, bomb, B-O-M, without the B, she's still the bomb. And then you have Dr. (laughs) Joycelyn J. Fitzgerald, and you can follow her at J. Fitzgerald, M.D. Um, (laughs) Libido's between the ears, not between the legs? Yes. Yeah. 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 For women. Yes. Absolutely. That's nice. Uh, You said for women, not necessarily for men. Men are more, more, it's more physical. I I think it's between the, yeah, between the ears for, for men men too. too. And I also think there's a brain, vagina, brain, genitalia, brain, penis. I think there's a connection there. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely an interface between the two. Sometimes I'm like, I can now prescribe you a new husband. Although I could try. (laughs) (laughs) That's the prescription we need, Dr. Jocelyn. So so one new husband. (laughs) What has been the preponderance of vaginal rejuvenations that you guys have said? Like, has it increased exponentially since the housewives? Well, so vaginal rejuvenation is not something that is defined in medical terms. That is like a cultural term. So that means different things to different people. Like, does it, does vaginal rejuvenation mean that you want your vagina to make lubrication more naturally? Like it's gotten dry from menopause that we can fix. Does rejuvenation mean that it's lax or loose? That might be something that bothers a patient. Although actually I did a research study on this. Um, that showed that men actually cannot tell that is something that women perceive, but Mm -hmm. men do not perceive vaginas as lax or loose. And then the other thing is that laxity or looseness does not correlate with prolapse and prolapse is when things are actually falling down. So we kind of deal in three dimensions, like length, width, and height, like what is falling where and what's wide and where, and that's something different to every patient. So that's why Dr. Akinam was saying we really tailor the goals of the patient. If they want like more sensation during intercourse, cause they feel as though things are wide. That's like a different problem than someone that wants to rejuvenate their lubrication or their libido. Okay. Now to rejuvenate your um, lubrication, is that a surgery? Is that a pill? Is that an injection? It's a cream. It's a cream. It can be in a pill form, though. It can be. But yeah, it's vaginal estrogen. It's magical. Magical. Oh, so good. 
<laughs> you guys are cracking me up. Hold on. It, Dr. Wait, Dr. Mary said it's so good. All right. So <laughs> how, how is it applied? So you can either apply it with your finger or there's an applicator where you take the tube of cream and you sort of screw it on the end, pull the little plunger back and then squeeze the cream into it. Remove the tube, insert it into the vagina, kind of like a tampon, and then push that plunger so it deposits it at the top. And then I tell my patients, do that at night, lay flat. So it yeah. stays in the vagina and does its job. Uh-huh. Most of my patients share with me that the next morning you get up, all that cream comes out. So it can be a little bit messy, but you only need it twice a week. Yeah. Twice a week. That's so it. then you schedule your dates with your, your paramour yes. around, yes. around the moistness. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. You know, give that person a heads up. Hey, it's going to be a little creamy. Speak, like, all right, speak, sp- okay, speaking of heads up, can it be ingested? Ooh, I've had patients ask this of me. I think it's probably fine, but I do say like- <laughs> You said probably? That's something that's going to happen. It could, it could, I mean, it's such a low dose. That's not funny. It's like, doc, my tongue fell off. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was not going to fall off. Fall off. No, oh, it, no. is, it is a really, really, really low dose. So much so that we we use it in cancer survivors. Yeah. Because it does not, the amounts that you need to get blood, you know, absorbed in your bloodstream to be, you know, measured, it's not detectable. Yeah. It's it's very, very safe. Okay. I would say nothing rejuvenates vaginas like vaginal estrogen does. And it prevents urinary tract infections. Wait. Okay. Pause. Pause right there. How does it prevent urinary tract infections? So here's how I like private. Yeah. So, I want to hear your spiel. So vaginal estrogen, once we hit menopause, okay, prior to menopause, your vagina has normal bacteria in it. We call these lactobacilli. I call these the soldiers or the defenders of the vagina, mm. okay? So their job is to eat bad bacteria. We know that the rectum is quite close to the vagina and stool has E. coli as one. People hear E. coli all the time, right? It's a common offender of a a urinary tract infection. So if E. coli gets to the vagina, that lactobacilli in a premenopausal vagina will eat it, basically, or phagocytize it is what we call it. Now, flash forward to menopause, you don't have as much estrogen. And if you don't have as much estrogen, you don't have as much lactobacilli. Those good bacteria are now gone. That means there's an opportunity for bad bacteria to get to the vagina and then the bladder neck or the urethra is right there. Pop right in. And they jump right in. Jump right in. So you so they got they got springs on there, but they just the bacteria just be jumping. (laughs) They do have, they have these they little arms. They have the so, pili. Yes. Yeah, they stick to your urinary tract. It's true. But yeah. So adding vaginal estrogen, it changes the environment of the vagina to be similar to what it's like prior to menopause. And mm. so that lactobacilli is now back. And so it's able to defend yes. the vagina. Come on That's through, defenders. So no amount of cranberry juice is going to save you. No. Yeah. It's not, Brand- not like, not like vaginal estrogen. No. It's not the same. Now, can Brand- we get this over the counter asking for a friend? Oh, if you live in Europe, yes. But in the United States, they're still working on changing the packaging. So you do need a prescription, yeah. um, but it's very cheap with like a good pres- prescription. Yeah. So 
I do not get paid by GoToRx. That's just how I prescribe it. Okay. Well, listen, uh, when we come back, I want to know what, what you guys, and thank you for, for coming, because they are surgically repairing people and all of this, and they're making time for y'all, the Karen Hunter Show. I see we have a couple of questions that people want to ask you as well. And I feed off of the energy of others. These two ladies have incredible energy, also love for their field. They love what they do. I could tell they love human beings. All of that just pours out of them. Dr. Jocelyn J. Fitzgerald, Dr. Mary Ackenbaum, both of them are at UPMC McGee Women's Hospital and Gynecology, Obstetrics, all of the things Dr. Mary teaches um, and does surgeries as well as Dr. Jocelyn. All right, we're we're talking about um, woman parts, but men should also know a lot because you are in community with women, whether it's your mama, your sister, your wife, your daughters, you should know, especially if you're a daddy, you should know these things, get involved, get involved in that area. Um, Yes. Did I ask you a question before we went to break? Or did, I forgot, forgot, forgot if I asked you a question. We were going to talk, talk about surgeries. Okay. Bella. All right. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So for, for, for tightening things up, what, what is the procedure? How long does it take? And what's the healing process? Good question. So um, it depends on which surgery we're doing, but generally speaking, we can either keep your vagina long and support it, or we can make your vagina shorter, really short and really narrow, so short and so narrow that you would not be able to have comfortable penetrative intercourse thereafter. However, you still have clitoris and vulva and the nerves are intact to that. So you can engage in what I would call extra course or outer course, as there are many ways to be intimate. Uh, so it depends on, again, depends on your goals and what they are, but we can either keep the vagina long and reconstruct it or make it nice and short and reconstruct it in that way. All right. I'm just asking who would opt for a shorter vagina? So the reason, or one of the main reasons to, to opt for that surgery is that that surgery of all of them is the most, and I'm using air quotes for y'all who can't see me, successful. Success meaning no return of the bulge after surgery again, no need for a pessary, which is that device that sits in the vagina Mm. like a rock and holds everything up, no need for repeat surgery. It's 95 plus percent successful. Mm -hmm. The other ones are high, I'd say, you know, anywhere between 60 and 85 percent good. But that that short, narrow vagina surgery, you do that, the prolapse is not coming back. It's, okay. Now, yeah. how short is short? Are we talking four inches, five inches? In my, in my hands, in my OR, it's yeah. between two centimeters and six centimeters. Centimeters? Mine too. It's very small. Centimeters? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on, Docs. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Who's got... So so there's no penetration with two no, centimeters. No, this, you, oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, but at least you won't have your vagina falling out when you're on the dance floor. That's exactly. right. Exactly. That's right. Usually so, it's older women that have that surgery. Yeah. Who have decided they're probably not going to be penetrated anyway. So might That's as well. Right. But they're doing but, an extra outer course. Yeah. yeah. All right. Because I'm saying the, the people that are older getting it in. I'm just there saying. There are some of my patients who that, are. And they, I mean, I can think of a 75 year old woman who was like, listen, on the day of, we were planning for short vagina. And then she gave me the look and her son was there and we got him out of there. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, listen, I met somebody. I said, stay no more, ma'am. Say stay no more. I've got this. <laughs> I got this you. It will remain long and we'll yeah. keep it supported. And she ended up marrying that person. And you then after come on like, through long dong old guy. So let me ask you, um, how long is long? How long is long docs? Well, 
You know, that's interesting because vaginas, sort of like penises, they really get a lot longer when they are aroused. So like in the office, when we measure, we actually have these popsicle sticks that have little rulers on them that we use to measure vaginas because we are planning, you know, to make your vagina good again. So we're trying to make sure it's long enough and the, the width is right and whatever. Um, and so I'd say the average is probably around eight to nine centimeters. Ding, ding. Um, I agree. Yeah. Centimeters. So but what? That, I- it's in, you're in the OB-GYN office. You are certainly not like aroused. So it's a lot shorter than when, you know, yeah, when you're aroused. Elongates when- yeah. So when people are talking about, um, I'm, I won't use this language in front of you. So I'm, I'm, I'm editing it's all so, 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 so size doesn't matter because the vagina is not that long anyway. Is that what you're saying? So all of these guys yeah. talking about how big they are. Yeah. A lot of my patients have a lot of pain because penises are like, because of the size they have, it's called dyspareunia, like painful sex. Cause it's like too deep. They have endometriosis or another condition or they've had hysterectomy. So their vagina is a little even shorter than that. And they mm-hmm. can have pain. Um, I'm pretty sure I've read a study on this. And there's some very good urologists that have like YouTube channels and things, but I'm pretty sure the data shows that girth matters more than length is what I have read. In what way? Are we In talking about, like, oh, wait a minute. Satisfaction, sensation. Yes. sensation. Yes. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Because like, like long and skinny. Yeah, long and skinny. You no, know, I think whatever. it depends on what floats your boat. I Agreed. think some people, you know, depending, uh, there's there's matches out there. Is totally. what I'll say, right? Some people like uh, more. And it's more important to know I'm where gonna, like clitoris is than it is to have. Yes, like, I'm gonna bit. say that everyone who prefers long and skinny, they're lying. 866-801-825 is a bunch of liars. You've been conditioned. You're colonization. Uh, anyway. Um, let's, let's, let's go to the phones. We have people that have questions. And before I do, somebody in Nubia wants to know about hot flashes coming back. Like once you're, do they keep coming back? What did we do about the return of the hot flash? You mean if like they went away when you have, yeah, they went away, they went through menopause and went away and then they came back. Is that, um, is that, do they need hormone therapy if that's happening? That's like a case by case basis situation. I think it would depend on like the age of that patient or like if anything else had changed in their health, I probably would have them still see their primary care doctor to make sure their thyroid is doing okay. And some other things that can sometimes make you feel hot and sweaty um, and have hot flashes. But, you know, I have heard of people like coming off of their hormone therapy and then their hot flashes come back and then they have to go back on it. So I'd probably individualize that. What about about diet? Diet does make a difference. Exercise mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Exercise, I'd say, is probably the biggest one. Yep. What rigorous exercise? Do you have to sweat exercise? Because I've been getting in eleven thousand steps now every day, and I feel like yeah, uh, that's good. Know. Walking is perfect. Just Thank you. do it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I'm not flashy, uh, except in my personality. <laughs> okay. Um. And and again, everyone's different. So whatever works for you works for me. May not work for you, etc. So consult your physician. Right. Yeah. And if you're in Pittsburgh, go go see these two ladies because they're amazing. Mary Ackenbaum, Dr. Mary Ackenbaum, Dr. Jocelyn Fitzgerald. Uh, let's go to the phones. Bobby's been holding on in Maryland. Bobby has a question for you ladies. Welcome, Bobby. Oh, hi, Karen. Thank you so much for taking my call. And it is still May, so happy belated birthday to oh, you. Okay, I'll take um, it. I'll take it. Yes. Hello, ladies, doctors. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen, for having this segment as I'm listening. I'm a woman. I'm 50, and I'm definitely premenopausal. 
Um, and I'm at my wits end with it. And I heard you mention um, hormone supplements that you can take. And I wanted to know if you can elaborate more on that. I'm someone that is anti-medication, period. But I'll do anything at this point. What what symptoms, what are you suffering from? What's bothering you the most? Um, my mood swings are all over the place now. Um, I'm always hot, especially at night. Uh, it's uncomfortable. I sleep with the fan on, the windows open. My husband's wearing like three blankets. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, I just would, I was wondering if there was, I mean, my doctor did mention hormones, but again, you know, I'm anti-medication, so I wasn't really hearing okay. what she was saying, but now that you mentioned it, I am all ears. Okay. Well, Bobby, yeah. sorry you're going through that and your husband being super cold um, as well. <laughs> you need to warm up. Doctors, what are there different kinds of hormone therapy and walk us through what, what that looks like? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Bobby, there's so many people out there like you going through this. And so, I, again, I want to echo what Karen's saying, and sorry that you're experiencing it, but I know that you have some options. Um, yes, you know, we've been talking about hormone replacement therapy, and there are um, some different regimens that could be helpful in that way. However, um, being that you're, you're, you would think about other options, I would offer to you, um, there's black cohosh in terms of like some natural herb things to consider, black cohosh, evening primrose oil is another one. Yeah. And I feel like ashwagandha has gotten like a really good rap lately. Oh, I've yeah. taken the ashwagandha tea. I'm loving it. My joints are feeling nice and lubricated, loose. I'm sleeping better. So, so those are the three things I would say to consider and look into if you have not already. Um, but in terms of hormone replacement therapy specifically, yes, there's pills, but there are patches as well. Mm -hmm. There's rings, there's low doses, uh, you know, go and see a, a provider out there who, who can offer this to you. Cause there's lots of different ways that they can tailor make it so that it works with your lifestyle and will result in the end product of what you need and being able to function like a normal person again. Mm. I want to sit with, you know, a lot of us are med medicine averse, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always on uh, WebMD. <laughs> it's like Google searching. All right. Is there a natural? So I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Ackenbaum, that, you know, there are some herbal, but you got to stick with it long enough. But I think if you're going to do the herbal thing, you should also maybe eliminate certain things from your diet. Cause I know like if I'm, if I'm eating too many carbs, Yes. It will, it will spark. I, I almost gave myself a bladder infection with some Oatly ice cream it was not really ice cream. And I, I felt it coming. I was like, wait a minute. There's too much sugar in this. I immediately I, water and cranberry juice. Cause I could feel it happening. Like in real time, I was like, what is going on? Too much sugar, too much sugar. Yeah. And that delicious, delicious, the most creamy Oatly got some stuff with it, but you can't, you can't eat the whole thing. Just get a couple of scoops. Just let you know. There definitely are foods that can irritate your bladder for sure. Oh goodness, so, yes. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. But like spicy, spicy foods, caffeine. Mm -hmm. These are things that probably trigger like menopausal symptoms too. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. Um, what am I forgetting? Caffeine, artificial citrus, citrus. Yeah, foods citrus. Sometimes can really jazz things up. Alcohol, um, alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. 
Yeah. Alcohol is a very big one because it's very inflammatory. So maybe Bobby can try for 30 days an elimination to see what, whether they they calm down the flashes and then go consult your doctor and get through some therapy. So is it pills? Do you have to be on it for the rest of your life? Like how does the estrogen work? No. um, They start you on the lowest dose to get Mm -hmm. you like the, the therapeutic result you're looking for. The one thing I will say is, if it's a little different if you have a uterus versus you don't have a uterus, if you have a uterus, you have to be on estrogen and progesterone. And that's because estrogen can stimulate your uterus to, to bleed to almost like it's a risk factor for uterine cancer. If you don't protect your uterine lining Mm -hmm. with the progesterone, if you've had a hysterectomy, you do not need progesterone, but just like a really low dose of estrogen for some women will just make them feel so much better in terms of their mood brain fog, hot flashes, that kind of thing. And like Dr. Ackenbaum said, a lot of people will get put on a patch, like just a tiny little patch that delivers it. So you don't take a pill every day. There's vaginal rings that can release the medication. Um, so there's a few different ways you can take it. And I think the school of thought is basically to be on the lowest dose for like the shortest amount of time that it takes to control your symptoms. But um, I think there used to be a lot of concern about breast cancer and stroke, mm-hmm. heart attack. Um, and actually they found that um, to prevent that in, I think it was a hundred thousand women or something. I'm going to, I'm going to quote this wrong. Sharon Malone said this in the um, Oprah special. I think it's a hundred thousand women that in the group that got estrogen, they had eight cases of breast cancer versus two in the other group. But that's like out of a hundred thousand women. So like six extra women got breast cancer out of like a hundred thousand women on estrogen. I mean, the risk benefit for how much symptom relief you can get is like, huge. I think it outweighs, you know, if you're in misery and you can't sleep at night. Okay. Thank you. That was great. Great advice. And Bobby, uh, definitely all of that. Uh, thank you for calling and listening to Carla in Maryland. We're going to stay in Maryland. She has a question for you ladies. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. You're on with Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Ackenbaum. Carla. I'm in, actually in Florida, but that's oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Carla in Florida. We got to fix that. Carla in Florida. Welcome. Okay. So the reason I was calling is because I um, have been diagnosed with fibroids and my doctor suspected it, but they could never find it until they did a transvaginal ultrasound. So based on that, um, we talked about the options and I'm going to get the Mirena. So I think I asked all the questions I needed to ask, but are there any particular questions you think I should ask my before I get it? Because I'm supposed to actually be getting it done in like a month. To have a hysterectomy? I think she said Morena. Oh, yeah. Morena. Morena, yes. Oh, oh. What's, yeah, what's a, a Morena? What's a Morena? A Morena is an intrauterine device. It is. It is secretes a hormone, progesterone, um, which uh, you know, Dr. Fitzgerald was just talking about protecting the lining or the inside of the uterus, and it does this. It also helps to minimize bleeding. Um, there are it's a small proportion of women who actually stop bleeding altogether when they have an IUD that's a Mirena or has progesterone in it. Um, and, and that is fine. It is safe. It means that your the inside lining of the uterus is not uh, growing and then shedding like with a period. But yeah, I think that's a great option. It sounds like your symptoms that are bothering you, Carla, are, I assume it's bleeding. Um, so the Mirena would likely be very helpful for that. 
Um, perhaps more helpful depending on the location of the fibroids within the uterus. That's hard to know without uh, seeing your ultrasound, but I definitely think it's worth a try. Absolutely. Um, I've used them in lots of patients. I will say as a, like I have used it myself as a consumer um, and it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Yeah. So I hope that you are getting the relief that you need. Now, if you're having bulk symptoms from your fibroids, meaning like you feel pressure all the time in your abdomen, you feel heaviness, the IUD is probably not going to help with that. So I offer that just to make sure that your team of, of, of providers who are caring for you are also keeping in mind what your goals are, whether it's stopping the bleeding or if you're having bulk symptoms, having a plan to address that as well. That bleeding, boy, what, I forgot. There was a TV show with an episode where somebody had like bled all over somebody's furniture. And yeah. you know, man, it can be real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fayetta. Fayetta's in Arkansas, Arkansas. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi, Fayetta. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Dr. Mary and Jocelyn. Thank Hello. you all for letting me call. I'm an older lady. I'm 69. That's not older to an 80 year old. Stop it. Stop it. I said older. I know, but you're not <laughs> older. It's all relative. Thank you. You're beautiful. Thank you. So I had six babies. And I had a hard menopause. Oh my God! I had a menopause where I got up at night. You can see my see me, my body. I did that about ten years ago. Okay, I've started again this year of the menopause. Uh, the night sweats. I don't know. I'm saying menopause because uh, that's what we thought it was. I have cousins and my auntie. They said that they did it again also in their seventies. But I heard you say something about thyroid or something of that nature. So that's yeah. why I wanted to know, uh, maybe I need to get that checked. I'm not sure. And uh, I have no problem. If you were my patient, I absolutely would check it for you. Because right? it's, you know, it's interesting to like, you were going through it. You've had a decade where you've been good. And then now you have a change in your symptoms. So I, I, I as your doctor, I would say, let's dot I's and cross T's and make sure there's not something else going on. And, and, you know, thyroid hormone, hormones embody a lot of things. We talk about hormones like estrogen and progesterone and reproductive hormones, but there's your thyroid too. There's your adrenal gland too. There's mm. other hormones in your body uh, that need to be also sort of accounted for. And so, yeah, I, I, I would talk to your primary care doctor and get that checked out just to, again, it may be fine. And if it is great, but you would want to get that checked, make sure nothing else is happening. Dr. Mary, as black women, the thyroid seems to be more fibroids and thyroid. Is there is there something to that with black women in particular? Fibroids, yes, absolutely with fibroids. Um, thyroid, I don't I don't have a good answer for that today. Let me I will get back to you, Karen, okay. and I will have you share that with the listenership. Uh, yeah. But for definitely for fibroids, absolutely. Okay. All right. We'll have you back, both of you, to talk about it. Let's go to Bessie in North Carolina, Charlotte, to be exact. You're on the Karen Hunter Show with Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Ackenbaum. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm talking through my radio and my, I mean, my phone in my car. Can you hear me? Yes. We hear you yeah. great. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. I've had a um, hysterectomy. The first time around, they took my uterus. They kept, I kept my ovaries and my fallopian tubes. And then two years, about two, three years later, I had to get the ovaries and the tubes taken out, but I do have my cervix. So okay. what's going on with me now, and I, I, 
don't so much have had the hot flashes and the sweats anymore, but I have vaginal atrophy. So mm -hmm. my doctor gave me this stuff called Ubofem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like the little pill that you, that I put up in me. It's not the cream. Yes. But yes. I was listening before I called in, and you were saying something about some of the stuff that you use is not meant to be used long term. So is that the same for the Ubofem and the pills? No. Yeah. The, so the Ubofem is a form of vaginal estrogen. It's just in a tablet. So I, earlier I was talking about how some of my patients tell me the vaginal estrogen cream is messy. I will graduate some of my patients up to Ubofem. If they're like, yeah, this estrogen's working. The cream is a little messy though. We go to the Ubofem because it's a tablet. And usually by then the tablet can be absorbed pretty well in the vagina if you have less atrophy. That is something that you can use long-term safely because it is a very low, low dose. And again, with the Ubofem, that's 10 micrograms at each tablet and you're only using it twice a week, that's the lowest you can get. Yeah, that's, that's actually the, the lowest, lowest one. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I would use in my breast cancer survivor patients. So you're good. You can keep it going, especially if you're getting good a good result from it. Yes. Thank you, Bessie. Uh, let's head over to DC. Welcome in, Barbara. You're on the Karen Hunter Show with the doctors. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. So thanks, Karen Hunter. Yeah. for yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I am about 51 years old, and I have had menopause say, since I was perimenopausal, about 46. I was on the younger side, and then I got into full menopause, like, say, 49. So recently, I got my cycle back, um, like, at 51, and I had nothing at all. So 49, nothing in 50, and then 51, and then all of a sudden, I got the cycle and so I sort of freaked out. I went to my um, doctor to go and get checked out. So she just called me and said they got the results back, and she'll call me on Friday. Should I be nervous? Should I be scared? Because I know it's not supposed to come back after it's gone. So what kind of, um, what kind of diagnosis might be possible? And they're calling you with the results of the ultrasound, just, just so I'm... I want to make right. sure that I understand what they're doing. Right. She did an ultrasound and she also did a little probing thing with a, with a okay. tube. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So she did the right thing. Yep. Just say that you definitely, and you did the right thing because you're right. Your bleeding's not supposed to come back after it's been gone for over a year. That's why we said like, if you made it to 11 and a half months and then you bleed again, that you have to start over. But if, if it's been gone for a year and then you bleed more, you do have to go see your doctor and they do an ultrasound and a little biopsy of the inside of the lining, which it sounds like what you had. You know, the things that we're looking for that are not good are uterine cancer, but that is very rare. Um, and there's other things that can cause bleeding after you've gone through menopause, like polyps or even like some, some other growths. It could be a fibroid. It mm -hmm. could just be dryness. Vaginal atrophy can actually cause bleeding too. Um, so the fact that she's calling you back on Friday, I mean, I can't, can't speak to her practice pattern, but there's a variety of things that it could be. So I don't want you to get, you know, really worried unnecessarily. I would just wait and see what she has to say and just know that you did the right thing and she did the right thing as a doctor as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Ackenbaum. Let's go to Lisa in New York. You're on. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Wellness Wednesday. 
Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much, um, Ms. Hunter, enjoying the show, and thank you to the doctors for sharing all this wonderful knowledge. I have a quest- two questions. The first question was about if you, is it true that if a woman gets an IUD that it makes her sterile and unable to have children? And is it uncommon for women to have their periods twice a month? So for your first question, does an IUD make you sterile? And I'm, I'm going to say sterile, assuming like you cannot get pregnant after the IUD is removed. The answer is no. But if an IUD is in, yes, it will prevent pregnancy and it does a very good job of doing that. Um, but if you are ready and want to get pregnant and an IUD comes out, yes, your fertility ability will come back. Um, the second question of two periods in a month. Two periods in a month, we're talking about like a, a period interval of what, 14 days? That's pretty short. And pretty so short. I would I would call that either, um, that's abnormal uterine bleeding in my book, and that it deserves an evaluation. Okay. What does an IUD actually do, Dr. Akabal? So Dr. Fitzgerald, either one. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different types. There's a hormonal and then there's non-hormonal. So the hormonal one, since we've been talking about that, that has the progestin type of hormone in it. And so it's sitting in the uterus and it's creating an environment that is not, or I guess hostile for sperm and for eggs to get together. And, okay, and so the sperm comes like, hey, I'm swimming up this, uh, uh, and then it runs into a, like a barrier. Honestly, what it well, probably does is that it thickens the cervical mucus. So it's it's like swimming in the vagina, and then uh-huh. it gets to the cervix, and it's like, oh, there's a there's a wall, can't get can't. Get okay, through. it's stuck. Yeah. It gets stuck, and then it's like yeah. you got all the sperm just kind of coagulating in an area, and then what happens? It gets absorbed into the body. The sperm it just flushes, just flushes out. out. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Bye. Bye, yeah. everyone. And the ones that do get in there. The hormonal ones make the lining of your uterus very, very, very thin. So there's like nothing there to Keep like implant. support the pregnancy. So it just flushes okay. out. All right. Yeah. And the egg is just like, whoo, dodge that one. So the egg yeah, is right. chilling. Yeah. Down okay. It. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Now there's one that blocks something that doesn't release any hormones. It just sits there. Yeah. yeah. So there is a copper IUD. So it's non-hormonal. Um, but it's, it's, it's copper. Copper is an element. So that's, yeah. you know, good in some ways, natural in some ways, you yeah. would still have a, a period with this one. And sometimes you may even have a heavier period with this one. So I always warn yeah. my patients, if you're choosing that, we call it a Paragard IUD or a copper IUD, you're still going to have periods. They may be a little bit he- heavier. So heads up. Yeah. And really that one does create an environment that does not, it, it is not, um, it's yeah. hostile to implantation, hostile sperm, hostile to pregnancy. Yeah. It also, the, yeah. the hormonal ones, they protect you against uterine cancer. They actually have been shown to protect you against ovarian cancer yeah. as well. It's true. Um, and they kind of get rid of your period. So we're, I think that we're fans of the hormonal ones since we've Indeed. both used them. Um, but each their own, each their own. And I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of whatever my patient is a fan of. So they are not a fan of the progestin one. Then by all means, let's talk about the copper IUD. Yep. 
All right. Um, I, I don't want to get political with y'all, so I'm going to let you go. But I was going to play a Lauren Boebert um, clip because she uh, she's a congressperson. And I need oh, y'all yeah. to maintain your jobs and everything because I, I have a well, feeling you guys would be very vocal. I so, did uh, see a quote from her and I will just leave you with yeah. that. It is much more expensive to raise a child than it is to get your birth control prescription. You better say that. Oh, so let me let me ask you um, this about the the they call that the morning after pill yes. that, that um it, it, is that safe like you know if so somebody has has uh sex they think they they was unprotected that they yeah. don't want to get pregnant it it works like an iud in a sense that it's b- blocking hormonally something from attaching it does a few things um one is that it can prevent ovulation so if you're just the egg is just about to jump ship it can like Block that. Block that from happening. Yep. It also can change um, your cervical mucus as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it also does some things to the microenvironment of the uterus. Stop implantation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To stop implantation of an egg. Yeah. When, when both of you went to medical school to become, you know, obstetricians and gynecologists, were these things available? Or is this yeah, a relative yeah. new? Okay, so you've had this your whole entire career. What's okay. on the horizon in terms of reproductive uh, barriers and and things that can help young people, older people to to navigate uh, their uh, uteruses better and have more autonomy? It's a great question. I mean, we do love IUDs, but they're not necessarily new. But there's a few different IUDs on the market now. Some of them are a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. so. Um, presumably might be more comfortable to be inserted in like a younger patient with like a really tiny little uterus. Um, I've been seeing more and more things about male birth control um, in the news, which that is ain't nobody using that. Nobody. It's so ridiculous. It's... I mean, vasectomies have skyrocketed. Yeah, they have. have they? Wait, oh my god! Oh, yeah. yeah, that data Good has time. been published ever since um, you know the the decision to overturn Roe vasectomies rates have skyrocketed shout out to the men shout out to y'all for taking responsibility i i never thought that that would happen i feel like that well we we not have political conversation with you i'll keep you i'm gonna keep y'all keep y'all very much are okay with full spectrum reproductive services are important indeed i'm gonna take one more call and then i'm gonna ask you both to come back and and we could just do a Q&A ask cuz I've also I you know I want the men to come back come back guys it's okay it's safe to come back <laughs> all the men are stop <laughs> listening please come back uh Cheryl Cheryl in Nashville has a question and then the rest of you the all the lines are lit so I just want you to know we we will have them back the ladies will come back we're going to have this conversation because we we have questions and I'm so grateful that y'all are so amazing Cheryl Cheryl in Nashville Tennessee welcome hi Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. I started listening to your show, Karen, about a month ago, and I enjoy it every day when I get off work. I'm running to the car almost to get the radio on, so I really appreciate your show. And um, today's topic is awesome. So the questions I have for the doctors, thank you so much, are um, the first question has to do with A1C levels and hot flashes. Is that a thing? Because my gynecologist said that that's the thing, and I'm I'm – 58, I've been in menopause menopause, um, for a number of years, or past menopause, I feel like I'm postmenopausal. So is that a thing? I I would say yes, Um, you know, because A1C is a reflection of um, 
pre-diabetes, diabetes, potentially depending on what the result of that is. Uh, and so again, we're talking about hormones, not necessarily reproductive hormones, but hormones that are in the body. And so, yes, I would say that that's, they are interlinked. Yeah. Diabetes is a disease that really affects your blood vessels and menopausal symptoms are very much related to your blood vessels as well. So if a patient has uncontrolled diabetes, it's understandable. Their hot flashes could be worse. Yep. Again, back to like, I feel like while there are definite medical solutions, we should do all that we can because even A1C type two diabetes can be controlled through diet and exercise. Uh, yeah, yeah. and, and all of those things, once you get into homeostasis, things seem to clear up even your skin, you know? So like we, we, we can do the, the inside work. So that it, all the things work together. That's all I'm just saying. Let's do as much as we can and then go see the doctor and see the doctor and this. And, uh, I'm, I said, I was going to take the last call and Cheryl, welcome to the family a month ago. It's always shocking to me. I feel like everybody's been here for eight years. I just feel like everybody's been here with us going on nine years and to see somebody that's just, just joined us a month ago. is like shocking, but I'm glad you're home now. Let's take one more. Cause Cynthia has a question about cramping that I definitely, you know, that's feels like that could be painful. Hey, Cynthia in Indiana. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Awesome. Good. Thank you for taking my call. I am a first time caller, but a four year. Okay. Well, thank you for coming in today. No problem. I enjoy the show. My husband and I both do. But my question is this for the doctors. I am 62 and I am, I have a, had hysterectomy. I have nothing, nothing in there, nothing in there that can hold a baby, but I have cramping like the last three or four, four weeks. Just light cramping, not miserable, but just enough for me to say, what's going on? Got any yeah. ideas? Well, I'd say the first thing that I would think of is to make sure that it's nothing unusual or that you need an, some imaging for. So I'd probably get an ultrasound in a woman your age who suddenly has cramping. But if it's not like anything going wrong with your ovaries or you're not constipated or it's not a kidney stone, something like that, I probably would see a urogynecologist because we do see women. This is one of our favorite topics, actually. Yes. Um, you can get... <laughs> some actually some muscular spasm of your pelvic floor um, that can be really painful. You can get like a Charlie horse in your vagina. And really that's what cramps kind of really are mm -hmm. is your pelvic floor responding to what your uterus is doing. Um, Wait, doc, so is that from overworking? Cause you get a Charlie horse when you, you know, you're doing too much and didn't drink enough water, eat a banana. Actually, maybe, maybe yeah. you ate a banana and that that's gave you. Perfect. If you're overworking with constipation or peeing all the time mm -hmm. or holding a lot of stress and tension in your pelvic floor, you can get what feels like cramping all the time. And we send patients to pelvic floor physical therapy for that. Wait, but there's a therapist for this? Oh, yes. yeah. And they're amazing. They're we so have barely even gotten to talk about like all the things that we do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. You got to come back just to talk about the PT because yeah. that yeah. seems like everything. And shout out to all the physical therapists out there. I, somebody yeah. that went yeah. to for the, for the knees, it's, it's, it's life altering. I was just telling my mom that like physical therapy is everything. So yeah, yeah. there's physical therapy for the vaginal, for the uh, pelvic cramps. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You guys really are, 
incredible. Um, and I want to say thank you for all the lives you save and all of the people that you take care of in P- Pittsburgh. Um, and for those of you who are in Pittsburgh who want to know about them, uh, head over to, uh, you probably are swamped, uh, probably a five-year waiting list to get on your schedule, but UPMC McGee Women's Hospital, University of Pittsburgh, and check out Dr. Jocelyn J. Fitzgerald and Dr. Mary Ackenbaum. Come on back, ladies. You're a part of this family. I love both of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we love it. Great. 